Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the Bible Thumper podcast. My name is Patrick Hayes, and with me, as always, is Caleb Jenks. Today is Sunday, July 18th, and we are talking about Lutheranism. So, Caleb, tonight we're supposed to be going over Lutheranism. We should probably jump on in and start talking about why everyone should join the Lutheran Church. That's what we are discussing tonight. And I'll just jump in and add my two cents. I don't think anyone should join the Lutheran Church. That's what I'm going to say. So I'm on record. All you Lutherans can start out not liking me. That's fine. For those of you who currently are here and have heard that, if that didn't get you to leave this podcast, how about this? You should leave the Lutheran Church. That's what I think. After studying even casually about the Lutheran Church and what they believe, that's uh, exactly what I want to go on record as believing and saying. Caleb, you have anything to add to that? That's interesting. Well, we I, I missed the opportunity to slip this in there before Patrick uh, voiced his opinion. Patrick tends to like to voice his opinion early on in the episode, so he can't, can't leave everybody... <laughs> I'm not supposed to express my opinion. That's, I mean, what else are people getting on here for other than your opinion and my opinion? That's literally the only reason anyone would show up is to hear what we have to think about stuff. Go ahead, Caleb. How are you going to prepare the American public? So I had reached out to several Lutheran pastors. And I was hoping that they were going to want to promote their uh, denomination by get coming on our podcast. And so far we didn't have anybody agree to this. So I just thought I would call this out early in the, in the episode. If you happen to uh, be somebody that is a Lutheran and you would like to chime in here, uh, We're happy to have in in the, chime in in the comments. We might even be able to bring you in to this live video. If, if you seem to have uh, good knowledge of it, you just have to have a pair of headphones. Patrick can send you a link. Um, but yeah, this is, I guess, going into why Patrick already brought up why you shouldn't become a Lutheran or his, his idea that you shouldn't become a Lutheran. And it's probably the biggest distinctive of a Lutheran church. If you walk into, if you're a evangelical Christian and you walk into most churches that are out there, services are going to be quite similar among many different denominations. They're most Protestant churches have come around to, and, and actually Martin Luther's theology has fed into a lot of how most churches, whether it's a community church, a Baptist church, a, you know, you, you name it, whatever kind of church it is, we've all been affected by Martin Luther's theology. But um, I'm going to disagree with that. You're going to disagree with that? Yeah. But go okay. ahead. Finish your point. Baptists haven't been. Baptists are independent of of any outside influence. I'm so, well, the point that we need to make is that not all churches are Protestant churches, and that should be defined. A Protestant church is one that separated from the Catholic Church. They right. protested the Catholic Church and came out from them. Anabaptists did not. That's not where Anabaptists came from, which is why the Lutherans, the first Protestant church, persecuted the Anabaptists. Right. Okay, because they weren't part of them. <laughs> Go ahead. So, yeah, so your mainline churches, most of them are going to look at... Oh, I'm sorry, what's that? 
we all heard you rolling your eyes right then. <laughs> so most most uh, most mainstream churches are going to be pretty mm-hmm. similar. Uh, I agree. Lutheran churches um, are not. Are, if you walk into a Lutheran church, you're going to notice right off the bat it's very different. Mm-hmm. You're going to have a pastor that's wearing a robe or a dress or however you want to describe it. Just call uh, it you're, dress. you're going to <laughs> you're going to have a very uh, liturgical high church type of service. I like that very term, much, the church. Very much like the Catholic church. And if yeah. you actually talk to Lutherans, they will tell you, uh, well, the, the, the word evangelical was first described to Lutheranism. So they were like the original evangelical church, which just was a term that was uh, coined because they, they were gospel-centered church. Mm-hmm. Over time, they become a tradition-centered church, much like the Catholic church, and they will tell you that they are Catholic. Mm-hmm. Not Roman Catholic, but they are Catholic, and they, they inherited and have continued to carry on the traditions of the Catholic church, even though they minus the Pope. against the church. Exactly. Minus the Pope and minus um, works-based salvation. They they believed in grace alone and salvation, but then they muddied the grace alone thing up. <laughs> right. Yeah. Grace alone, but the grace is is brought to you through the Lutheran Church by the sacraments and whatnot. So yeah. it's very it is very unique in that it's it's Catholic and yet it's not Catholic. It's Protestant, and yet it's not Protestant because it's still Catholic. Mm-hmm. So they're they're Catholics, but they're not Roman Catholics, mm-hmm. and that's so that's probably one of the biggest distinctives of. Well, if you talk to a Lutheran, they would say grace alone through faith alone. That is their number one distinctive, and probably their second distinctive is that they are Catholic, and it's a very important thing for them to to be Catholic because they do believe that this gives their church authority because of the tradition that's been handed down to them through through the whatever history traditions. So do you want to give the good points? You want to start out with the good things that Martin Luther did and Lutheranism yeah. came up with before we throw them on, before I throw them under the bus? So I think that uh, Martin Luther probably served as one of the most influential people in the, in the history of the Christian church. He definitely influenced Christianity. He, he gave the Catholic church the finger. <laughs> Yeah, uh, successfully, and oh, yeah. he stood up to them, and he he had he had the guts to do that. Where a lot of other people either didn't have the guts to, or for whatever reason, they didn't find themselves in a unique position where he did, where he ended up having protection, where they didn't kill him. Uh, most other people were beheaded by the time that they ever got to be in, as influential as Martin Luther. They were dead, so yeah. he was fortunate enough to stay alive long enough for his movement to catch traction. So um, I'm going to go, this is, this is actually an uh, episode probably more devoted to the, to the Lutheran church, the current Lutheran church, but obviously you have to go through their church history. You got to start there. where it started. That's right. So most, most people, when they think of the Protestant Reformation, we're going to think of Martin Luther and his 95 Thesis, which this is where he first had enough of stuff in the Catholic Church to where he he wrote down 95 things that he was upset about in the Catholic Church. And he did not do this with the intention of, he was a Catholic priest, and he mm-hmm. just wanted to start a debate within the Catholic Church. He was not trying to get kicked out and excommunicated and start a new church. Uh, so, he, And can I, can I add something yeah, go, here? Yeah, do ahead. you know why he started this debate within himself that he brought 
forth and made public in the Catholic Church? Well, the straw that broke, broke the camel's back, or what kind of pushed him over was the indulgences with this friar that was selling indulgences, right? Oh, yeah. The indulgences made him irate. But my question is, why did he end up nailing his theses on the church doors at, I think it was Edinburgh? Okay, what, what was the catalyst that brought him there? I mean, I would say it was the indulgences, but... Yeah, 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 but why did that upset him? Okay, so there was a, a friar that was going around selling indulgences to raise money for, I think it was... Yeah, Saint but, but that, was going, that was going on right. for since his whole life. Why did it all of a sudden bother him? Why did all the 95 things all of a sudden make him mad and get him all riled up? I don't know. Do you know what he did in the years preceding that? Wasn't he sent he, to like oversee? Well, he was like he, he was sent away, okay, to study, and for the first time in his life, guess what he picked up and read? Oh, he, the Bible, right? The Bible. For the first time, he got his hands on the Bible, and he had been in the Catholic Church as, and I don't remember. I thought it was a, I thought it was a, um, a priest. Maybe it was a monk, and, and honestly, Caleb, I couldn't even tell you the difference. Okay, but either way. Uh, he held office in the Catholic Church, and for years and years, he was there doing his job and had never picked up or read the Bible. And then he went away, I'm going to call it, to school, and for the first time, he was able to read the Bible. And then all of a sudden, he got all hot and bothered about what the Catholic Church was doing because they don't really follow the Bible. They, you know, make it up on their own and do their own thing. Right. So he was German and there and he was in a German church, but they didn't have the Bible translated into the German language. Mm -hmm. And so the common layperson in church didn't have a Bible. Most churches didn't even have a Bible. Correct. Uh, they had liturgy that they read. They had prayers that they recited in Latin, but it was not uh, it, it really the gospel was not accessible to the common person. So there was kind of, well, before, before this happened, there was the first, the, the great schism, which is where the Greek Orthodox Church split off from the Roman Catholic Church. That had already happened. And so this was really kind of the second schism within the Catholic Church. And at the same time, there was, there was like three, kind of three reformations happening simultaneously. So Martin Luther kind of spearheaded it, but at the same time, there was already Anabaptists. There were other theologians out there, but there wasn't really, I don't think if it would have been for Martin Luther that it probably, some of like in Switzerland, I don't know that that really would have taken off um, as a, as kind of a, another reformation there. But so there was, there was different movements. John Calvin came mm -hmm. in and he was very influential, but that was later on uh, by about 30, 35, or no, sorry, about 15, 20 years later. Mm -hmm. that John Calvin became influential. So uh, as far as the great reformers, Martin Luther kind of beat everybody else to it. Mm -hmm. But we had, so Martin Luther was in, German, in Germany. In England, um, we probably, uh, people have heard of, of King Henry VIII. This is, it was always, I thought this was kind of funny. And I started to read, I read a book on the Reformation recently, and I just kind of cracked up at how the Anglican church got started. And, and this guy, you know what, you know what King Henry VIII was upset about, right? Yeah, the Catholic Church wouldn't uh, allow him to annul. They wouldn't annul right. one of his marriages. And they'd already done like a half dozen or something. 
you know, they wouldn't, they wouldn't, they weren't willing to do his most recent wife. He wanted it annulled so he could marry someone else and they wouldn't do it. So he said, fine, I'll go start my own religion. Yeah. He's like, all right, fine. You're not the Pope anymore. I'll be the Pope. So you got he, starts, he starts his own church so that he could marry whoever he wanted because the empire was just enraged that or the monarchy or whatever was kind of upset that this guy couldn't just divorce and remarry as often as he wanted. Hey, Caleb, um, I threw yeah. up there a picture on the screen. I just wanted everyone to have, cause you mentioned the Bible not being available to people at the time. And if you want a good book on the history of the English Bible, uh, this book purified seven times is a great one. And it goes over uh, several of the major uh, translations of the Bible. Um, and uh, one of them it talks about Luther's Bible. It talks about the Geneva Bible. It talks about the King James Bible. It talks about all the different, you know, the great chained Bible and what people were going through at the time. Cause a lot of folks don't understand that, you know, Martin Luther being in the Catholic church, being a monk or a priest or whatever it was, didn't read the Bible. And it's like, well, nobody really did there. They're, they weren't really out there. And then until the printing press came along, they weren't widely circulated. And I think that was in the late 1400s, but I just wanted everyone to see that. So if you ever wanted to, you know, kind of look up something and read about the Bible being translated into the English language, the book purified seven times is a good read. Okay, sorry, Caleb. Jump back in, baby. All right. So it's the first time you call me baby on here, but anyway, we'll just kind of let that slide. We, we usually we usually beep that out, but our producer okay. is, is not. <laughs> We're just gonna let that slide as if it okay. happened. So, and something that I that I find very very interesting when you look through early church history, and Patrick and I have gone on this over and over again with the Roman Catholic Church. But you had from the time of Jesus, you had the Romans versus jesus mm -hmm. you had the roman empire against the christians mm -hmm. and all the way up leading up up to this this point of the reformation you have to realize what what they were up against so i believe that really the church had been hijacked by the mm -hmm. roman empire it became the state church the roman catholic mm -hmm. church and so it really was it was not just held we don't it's, it's different than what we think of it now and it's like you can have a catholic church across the street they believe whatever they believe and that's fine and, and we believe what we believe over here it was crammed down your throat you know, do or die. You yeah. were either Catholic exactly. or you, or you were dead. And yeah. so this is what they were up against at the time. And so in order for somebody to actually successfully bring up a, a, a movement against this, a reformation against this, it really took somebody like Martin Luther, that was a fighter. Mm -hmm. And he was, he was, he was very faithful to his beliefs. Uh, I mean, even, even violently faithful to his beliefs what I was going over here as far as kind of the history of it. You, you had the Anglican church starting, you had Swingley, which was in Switzerland with the Swiss brethren. Swingley? Uh, he, he was preached. Yeah. With, along with William Farrell. Mm -hmm. And then later um, John Calvin joined them and um, Scotland ended up kind of joining the reformation when John Knox, who had been hanging out with John Calvin kind of started the Presbyterian church in Scotland so you had you had a whole bunch of stuff going on all at the same time. So Martin Luther was not he was not a lone ranger, but once I mean mm -hmm. kind of once the ball got rolling, there was a lot of there was a lot of Bible thinkers out there. There was a lot of people that were writing literature, they were translating the Bible, but Martin Luther was one of the first 
to actually translate the Bible for Europeans so they could actually have a Bible in their in their hands. And he had the advantage of the printing press where it wasn't mm-hmm. just one copy, but they could all of a sudden mass, mass produce Bible. it. Yeah. And and I want to underscore the importance of that. Like, you know, don't get me wrong. I don't know about Caleb, but I love getting on here and beating up other, you know, church groups and their silly beliefs. But Martin Luther did a great, great thing because it wasn't just the the leadership anymore these bibles were now made available to the lay public keep in mind they were very expensive at first and it was not but that was all books that wasn't just the bible that was anything in print was wildly expensive Uh, the first bibles that came off the press would often cost a year's salary and oftentimes they would be guarded uh, wherever they were kept, there is one Bible that was called the Great Chained Bible that was literally chained to pulpits in all, across Europe um, for fear that someone would steal the book and uh, the pastor would get up and read from it, you know, every Sunday. So, but these these were now being available, made available to people in countries around Europe, and this is really one of the first times this has ever happened, um, and it was it was an awesome thing uh, for Christianity across the board for this to happen. So good job, Martin Luther, for doing that. Yeah. So he claims when he was 20 years old or 21 years old, I think he claims that he was struck by lightning. Uh, And I'm not sure. I'm not sure what all happened, but he, he had this experience with God, similar what he considered to be similar to Paul's road to uh, Damascus experience. So he he um, he had this experience. He devoted his life, promised God that he would devote the rest of his life to God, and he would become a monk. And um, I don't know if he was. I don't know that he was already a Catholic priest before this experience, or if his being a monk led him into becoming a priest, or how, exactly how that worked. But anyways, so in fifteen uh, seventeen was when he. It was October thirty first, so Halloween before uh, we knew it as Halloween. Uh, in 1517, that was where that he, was All Saints Eve, yeah. All Hallows Eve. So he nails he nails his argument up on the door of the church, and starts starts this debate. He wanted he wanted to have his basically his day in court, so to speak, with the to have this debate with the other church leaders. And unfortunately, it didn't go down the way that he thought. Um, he did get his day on, I think, what did they, didn't they call it like the Council of Worms? I'm not really sure why it was called the Council of Worms. I never looked that up, but that was what it's yeah. called. Um, and so this is when he was excommunicated, declared an outlaw. <laughs> and um, if you if you read some of his, his argument there that he was making, <laughs> he was not friendly toward the rest of, of the Catholic Church. He called them pompous asses. Mm-hmm. He... He basically believed that they had, um, which I, I think that this is something that's very important. If you go to a church and your church leadership is, is, claims to have the sole authority of, of the Bible, but yet they can take things out of context, they can add extra things to the Bible, they can basically make up the Bible as they go, then Martin Luther one of these days kind of wakes up and he's like, wait a minute, you don't have the, the very authority that you claim to, to have over me as ministers of the gospel, you have undermined that authority by being willing to have your own traditions that go against the Bible. And I have the Bible in my hand. I have read it. And mm-hmm. I, I don't think that you got, you guys are just ordinary people. I, and he called them pompous asses. 
mm-hmm. which is just kind of, I, I just get a kick out of that. The fact that this guy gets his, gets his, his opportunity to, to talk to the, talk to the church. And he didn't, he didn't make, he had no, there's no qualms about him telling them exactly what he thought. He was very bold. He gets, um, excommunicated, declared an outlaw. There was, he was supposed to be killed. And I don't remember, I, I, I should have made some notes on some of this as far as who it was that took him in, but there was a guy, maybe you know this, Patrick. There was a guy that was like a... There was a prince a politician, that supported a prince. him. Yes, yes. Yeah, took him in, and he was able to hide out in his castle and mm-hmm. basically have protection. And I should I should have looked that up. But anyways, um, I read a book recently, and I was, I was thinking at the end of it, I probably retain about percent of what I read. <laughs> Pretty mm-hmm. low retention re- rate. But I think Patrick's told me in the past that he get, he gets like 80% or something like that. Mm-hmm. So anyways, um, so this guy, all of a sudden, what I think happened, in my opinion, is here you had a guy that was kind of on fire for God. He had the word of God in his hand. He starts translating the Bible into the German language in this castle. And he, he was really right. And I, I really think that Martin Luther... In, in his heart, I mean, of course, he was a human like anybody else, but in his heart, he really wanted to do, to do justice to the gospel. And so he starts out translating the Bible. And unfortunately, because he's being protected by politicians, politicians are never up to any good. The, the only time that they ever do something is if they can get something in return. Mm-hmm. And so all of a sudden, um, kind of like King Henry, now you've got, you've got this politician this prince that has this guy there that's translating the Bible and starting the, the Lutheran church mm-hmm. and it becomes another state church. So it's no longer just protected by the government, but it, now the government is going to start cramming this religion down people's throats. And yeah. what, what really set this off was people got their Bibles. There was a revolution and there was like um, peasants that were revolting against the, the social elite. And it was more of it was kind of more of a social uh, reformation that was going on, but they were they were justified because of because of the the boldness that they had through the religious reformation. You're going to say something? Well, I was just going to say so this this happened in 1524 and 1525. I believe this is what you're talking about, where right. Martin Luther sides with the state, the social elite. Yep, you got it. So Martin Luther. He's the one that caused the trouble in the first place because <laughs> yeah. people were kind of enlightened by the fact that, hey, we can read our Bibles. We can. And so it's kind of started. And a lot of these people were Christians, but they started mm-hmm. this revolution, which became more of a social revolution than a, than a Christian revolution. And Martin Luther, all of a sudden, it, once these people were angering the, the very government and the very prince that was protecting him, he sides with the prince and, and sides against the people and says, all right, fine, you guys need to go home. And then with that, what you find is that um, they started to persecute any minority opinion. So Martin Luther and his Lutheran state church start doing exactly what he was against the Catholic church doing, which was using the power and authority of the government in order to push the beliefs of that church. So 
the the basics so are it took a turn for the worse before it yeah. ever got off the, no, off the ground. No, it really did. And th- and this is one of the major weaknesses of Martin Luther and Lutheranism. People don't understand that there were thousands and thousands of people that were persecuted and killed because of Lutheranism and their state church. Caleb, I'm not sure if you know this, but in 2010, the Lutheran church wrote a letter of apology to the Anabaptists. So this is not some wild idea that Caleb and Patrick are making up to, you know, to manufacture ammo against the Lutherans. No, this is something that they know they did. They know they did wrong and they apologized for, you know, hundreds of years later. So it's dead people's great, 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 great. It's easy to find. So don't think that, you know, this is this is hard to come up with. Okay, the Lutheran Church published an open letter of apology to the Anabaptists. Yeah. And if you if you go back through and you read like the Martyr's Mirror, you'll find it's well documented, Mm -hmm. the persecution and their their boldness. They I mean, they had they had there's court documents you can read where just like the Catholic Church would sentence people to death, the Lutheran mm-hmm. Church would sentence people to death. Um, and so, like we all know now, there needs to be a separation between state and church. But back Every then, time. this was kind of this was yep. kind of the way the the kind of the the way that it went. And so, it seemed natural for Martin Luther to be like, "All right, let's have a better version of this state-run church." I don't know if he yeah. even, if we'll have really the real church run the state, and this will be much better. And folks, the the simple fact is you cannot have the same guy in charge of religious beliefs and a military. You just can't do it. Okay, it never turns out well. The government is supposed to stay out of religion and the and religion is supposed to stay out of the government. Now, none of us are saying that Christians should not be involved in politics and vote. We're not saying that we're saying that the religion should not run the government. Okay, there should be no religious leader that also runs the government. There should be no uh, state run uh, or state leader that also runs the church. They they have to be uh, separate. Otherwise, there's always bloodshed. And and it's very holy, sanctified bloodshed. It's always in the name of God. That's the impressive thing about the bloodshed. It's always in God's name. Right. (laughs) So, yeah, so... The, the it, it I don't think that Lutheranism ever really got a chance to get off the ground running, and so to agree with what Patrick, I mean, to get to get off the ground and running as a decent religion, because the conflict um, ensued as soon as as soon as he basically had his first day to actually voice his theology and what he believed, he was he was he had a death a death sentence, and so his only I mean this is he he ran and hid, and unlike the Anabaptists, uh, which were willing to go to their grave uh, for for Christ. He he kind of took the other approach of he went and hid out and found safety somewhere else. And I don't think that that was. I don't think that it turned out great in the long run. I think if you read through history, it's pretty obvious that, like Patrick said, the church history is bad enough that I would of course never recommend somebody to be a Lutheran. My my great grandparents were Lutheran. My grandparents were Lutheran. We have plenty of Lutheran. Um, history. I still have great aunts and uncles that are Lutheran. Um, nothing against the Lutheran Church. It's just that you know when you read the church history, this is one of the things that I always tell people. Whether it's 
the Mormon church or any other church, you got to look at their history and where mm -hmm. they come from. And of course we all have messed up stuff, but when, when, when the messed up stuff in our history defines who we are and what we believe, and we still kind of cling to those beliefs, that's of course mm -hmm. a bit, a bit alarming. Yeah. So if you're, if, sorry, Caleb, just to add on to what you're saying about church history, if you want to find a good church to be a part of, be a part of a church that was hunted down and murdered. That is a good group of Christians that you can feel safe being a part of. If you're a part of a group that did the hunting, eh, you're kind of missing the mark there. You know, I mean, even the casual reader of the Bible knows that's not how we're supposed to go about it. Right. So he would be what we would what we would consider a magisterial reformer, unlike unlike the Anabaptist, he, he took the, the Reformation route of let's work through the government to, to bring about the change in the church that we, that we need. And so that's is, this is, um, I, I would say I'm open to criticism on this, but I, I do believe that this is the number one problem with this Reformation. This is what went, this is where it all went wrong with the Lutheran church. If it hadn't been for this, mm -hmm. I don't know that Martin Luther would have ever gotten to where he did on doctrine. And that the Lutheran Church would have ever taken his doctrine then to the extremes that they have to be to be what it is. So this brings us to kind of what are some of the church distinctives. And before, great segue, great segue. Yeah. So before you can get to what the church distinctives are, I think that it's very interesting and 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 important to understand how Martin Luther viewed the Bible and how he how he how he brought this thing, whole thing to be. So when he translates the Bible, he translates the Bible into German, but he, in the, the beginning of the new Testament, he writes a preface and he, he tra I shouldn't say he wrote, translated the Bible. He initially, he translates the new Testament into German mm -hmm. and he writes an introduction to every book in the new Testament. And he initially, he, the, his first introduction is to the, uh, to the, New Testament in general. And I'm just going to read his preface here because this is very interesting and very telling. And I'm sure Patrick will quickly pick up on where I'm going with this. But this is what he writes. So keep in mind, he's in a tower translating the Bible into Germany, into German, while into German. he's being protected by this prince. Mm -hmm. And he writes this. And I'm only gonna, I'm not going to read the whole thing because we don't have a light. But he said, yeah. from all this, you can now judge all the books and decide among them which are the best. John's Gospel and James and John's Gospel and Saint Paul's epistles, especially that to the Romans and Saint Peter's first epistle, are the true kernel and marrow of all the books. They ought rightly to be the first books, and it would be advisable for every Christian to read them first and most. John's Gospel is the one true tender chief gospel far far to be preferred to the other three and placed high above them so too the epistles of saint of saint paul and saint peter far surpass the other three gospels matthew mark and luke in a word saint john's gospel and his first epistle saint john's epistle especially romans galatians and ephesians and saint peter's first epistle are books that show you christ and teach you all that is necessary for good and good for you to know even though you were never to see or hear any other book or doctrine. Therefore, St. James' epistle is really an epistle of straw compared to them, for it has nothing of the nature of the gospel about it. Uh, a book was written by Jesus' brother. <laughs> I think he had an idea of, of what Jesus was talking about. Yeah, so here you have a guy that is translating the Bible that mm -hmm. has a very, very strong bias. What? So this bias 
Bias reads so far into scripture that he has to dismiss whole books of the Bible that he does that he says are epistles of straw. You might as well just throw this into the book of James yeah. away because it's really an epistle of straw. It really has nothing to do with the gospel. I'm wondering and, why he even translated it. Why didn't exactly. he just make a New Testament of like three books? There you go. That's all you need. Good enough. So, and of course, uh, and I'm not saying any of this to be too hard on Martin Luther. He knew... <laughs> One of the things that Martin Luther hated about himself is he recognized that he was far from perfect. He hated his sin nature. He hated mm -hmm. the fact that as a, a Roman Catholic, he really didn't see how he possibly could go to heaven because it didn't matter how hard he tried. He, mm -hmm. was, he, didn't, he rejected the idea of purchasing indulgences. And really with their theology of the day, that was really your only hope. I mean, he had been preached to by the Catholic Church for years about his sin. They were big on sin. So he knew mm -hmm. that he was a sinner. And so now, he brings his his sin nature into translating the Bible here quite clearly. Yeah. When you're talking about sin, are you talking about when he wholly condemns Anabaptists because they would not sprinkle their children and ordered the death by drowning of them? Is that the sin you're referring to? Yeah, I would say that that could possibly be considered a, a sin issue there. Because I find that's not brought up much when talked. I mean, he hated, he hated Jews. He hated yeah. them. Yeah. Honestly, yeah. I don't know if it if it wasn't for Martin Luther and some of his theology, if if the the Holocaust would have ever happened. I'm oh man! On his back, but I mean, he definitely <laughs> he definitely brought a lot of anti-Semitism. He did not help Adolf yeah, he Hitler's help final solution. Okay, he did not help it at all in any of his writings. No, it's true. He was anti-Semitic, and uh, again, if you're going to pick a church to go to, pick a church that's been beat up for the sake of Christ, and then pick a church that is for Israel. You do those two things, you're probably in a pretty good place. Oh, brother. <clears throat> Sorry. Go so, ahead. Yeah, so anyways, that I think that, that his preface to the New Testament should be read as a preface before you read any of Martin Luther's works, because you, you have to understand, here's a guy that he valued the Word of God to the point mm -hmm. that he's willing to translate it, yet he did obviously did not believe that it was inspired by God. He, he, he looked at the New Testament as a commentary on his philosophy and on his gospel. So Martin Luther's gospel really became the focus of his gospel. And if you read some of his quotes, I'm going to read a few of them here, but the, the focus became on, on, on his version of the gospel. And he's willing to even omit whole books of the Bible in order to make sure that his version of the gospel was able to hold up. If it became problematic when compared to the word of God, then let's just dismiss that portion of the word of God and we're going to go with the part that we like, which is very, very problematic. And this is kind of um, the telltale sign of a cult leader. So I, I think that, like I said, I think he was a great guy, had good intentions, and the whole thing kind of went off the tracks a little bit. And, and when you look at the way that he treated the Catholic church, mm -hmm. while I respect his willingness to stand up to them and say, mm -hmm. you know, you guys are, you know, I don't care about you. You guys are a bunch of pompous asses, mm -hmm. um, which is, I'm, I'm talking, you know, in a biblical definition before somebody gets onto me for using bad language here. Of course, he was talking, saying that they were donkeys. I'm not saying mm -hmm. a bad word on here. I would never do that. Mm -hmm. So anyways, <laughs> he, he goes, he goes so far with this newfound freedom to protest against church history mm -hmm. as to be accountable to really no one and, and accountable not even to the word of God, such that he can now dismiss whole books of the Bible if it doesn't agree with his philosophy. So really, I believe Martin Luther's philosophy became something that he was willing to die for, whether it was true or not.
Mm -hmm. And so anyways, here are the distinctives. And oh, a lot of these wait. do come from his. Sorry. Oh, I, well, there was just, you know, since you brought up his hatred of the Jews, I figured I would okay. uh, bring up one of the books that he wrote, which was titled On the Jews and Their Lies. And I don't know if you know this, but Martin Luther was actually named in another famous gentleman's book, Mein Kampf, where he was called one of history's greatest reformers in the novel Mein Kampf written by Adolf Hitler. So if, yeah, he was one of Adolf Hitler's <laughs> idols. So if you don't, again, because, you know, I, I can only imagine how many people roll their eyes at what we say on here and just write us off. If you don't believe us, go ahead. You can look up uh, the paper that Martin Luther wrote on the Jews and their lives. It's a 65,000 word document. You can get it. It's easy. You can read it and you can decide for yourself, uh, you know, if he was anti-Semitic or not. Okay, Caleb, what do, do the Lutherans believe? What are their distinctives? So, so Martin Luther's first thing was he believed that it should be that the Bible alone held authority, mm -hmm. scripture alone. And of course, as we can see, uh, it didn't mm -hmm. take him very long before he did the parts same thing. Of, the yeah, parts, parts of, of the Bible. Yeah, the important so, parts. He believed that the Catholic Church is, I mean, this is his, his big beef with the Catholic Church. He, he believed that the Catholic Church is teaching that the salvation came through good works combined with faith. He believed that that was false. And so this is this is where he where he initially, mm -hmm. I think, got it right. Mm -hmm. He's like, wait a minute. Mm -hmm. Something's wrong. You guys are selling indulgences. You're trying mm -hmm. to earn your way to heaven. This is messed up. Uh, what about the Bible? Let's go back to scripture alone. And we're going to go faith alone, through grace alone, through Christ alone. And so this was kind of one of the hallmarks of the Protestant Reformation that it continued to carry on throughout throughout uh, other other denominations as well. So this is his initial belief. He comes to the belief that the Bible is the ultimate authority. Um, he translates the Bible, gets it out to the public through the printing press. And if you really read and, and, and talk to Lutherans now, um, they will tell you. Um, I don't know what I believe. <laughs> if you are, if you're a Lutheran and you're watching this, mm -hmm. um, and I'm wrong, mm -hmm. uh, so just just chime in here in the comments and tell me that I'm wrong. But mm -hmm. uh, most Lutheran ministers will tell you that the number one thing that they still value is the is the comfort of the conscience. They this was something that bothered Martin Luther, and this was something that that he found to be problematic in the Catholic Church. Is they used fear. They continued to, to stir up people's fear of hell and their sin and trying to earn their way to heaven. And this became, I mean, very profitable and lucrative for them because basically once you get people afraid enough, you can use fear to manipulate them and they'll do anything. Mm -hmm. So Martin Luther's idea was he got tired of living in fear of hell all the time. And, and I think that he got something right here where he realizes, wait a minute, I don't have to earn my way to heaven uh, through my good works. It's, it's faith in Christ alone. And it doesn't matter how imperfect I am. Um, Christ is enough. And so this was, this was the, the Lutheran church was the first church to, to be able to preach a gospel 
where people could have assurance of salvation through Christ and where they, and this became very, very uh, distinct to their church. And one of his quotes here is he says, um, I thought I had this. Uh, basically he said, justification is the doctrine by which the church uh, stands or falls. Uh, where is, let's see if we can find it here. I have a whole bunch of them pulled up, but basically this was, this was his, his biggest, this was his biggest doctrine going into building this new uh, faith, this new denomination was that that justification through faith in Christ was what makes or breaks a church. And I think that we agree with that in, in most churches. Now we would say, unless you, if you're a, if, if you're a, a Christian, a supposed Christian that, that doesn't see your salvation coming through Jesus alone, then you're not really a saved Christian because unless you actually understand, understand salvation is coming through faith in Christ alone, then you're, you're not really saved because, mm -hmm. you know, that's, that's like one of the essentials of salvation. So this, he got this right. And I, I cannot find it. I have like a hundred quotes of him pulled up here and this is not one that I can find, but um, to paraphrase, that was what he said. He, and, and it was one of his most famous quotes was basically justification is the doctrine on which the church stands and without it, the church falls, something to that effect. So this was, this is still to this day, one of their strong distinctives is uh, justification through faith in Christ. However, this is where it gets muddied up is how does that, how is that grace alone applied to, uh, applied to your life? So um, they believe, and this is written in their statement of faith that the greatest need of mankind is to be set free of sin by the blood of Jesus. And this is a very, a very powerful thing. The Catholic church believes the same thing. So as you see, we start getting more and more similar to the Catholic church. As you start, you, you emphasize the need for justification and, and you get that right. But then you say, well, the, the most important thing is, is, is that you need freedom from sin. And that comes through grace alone. And now it's where it gets muddy is how do, how does that grace come? So they believe that justifi justification comes through faith in Jesus alone and the sacraments. So they believe that the sacraments of the church are a, a means by which you can achieve grace and salvation. So the so way you, you get the grace is through the sacraments. Correct. Now, sacraments so, are just things you believe, right? I mean, there's no work involved in these, is there, Caleb? Yeah. Yeah, unfortunately, unfortunately, sacraments are a physical. Um, if you go to if you go to church in a Lutheran church, you will you will see how this works. But as you go through the the, the church ceremony, whether it's whether it's the, the hymns that are sung, whether it's the the candles that are lit, whether it's um, the infant baptism that's happening, these are all ways in which you are justified through grace that is achieved through these sacraments and through through the church. So really your, your, your salvation all of a sudden goes from Martin Luther saying you're justified by faith in Christ alone to, and, and through it's this grace that comes through Christ alone to where it's this grace that comes through the Lutheran church alone, no different than the Catholic church all of a sudden. And, and they'll tell you, yeah, we're the, we're, we are a Catholic church. Mm -hmm. So uh, anyways, this is, this is one of their, one of their distinctives here is is they they believe that um, 
you know, justification. This is where we stand or fall as a church. Justification comes through faith alone, through in Christ mm -hmm. alone, through the blood of Jesus, which is applied to your life through grace. And we're the ones that apply it through these things. So um, baptism is a, if baptism is a means of salvation and that salvation can mm -hmm. only come through the appropriate means of grace, which is uh, the universal Catholic belief here, the Catholic, the word Catholic means universal church. They believe that they are the one and only church, which it, it's, it's weird because they, they started out protesting against a church that believed this very thing. And now they believe that they're the one and only church, you know, because they have, they have received, uh, they, it's been handed down to them through the Catholic church and they've received this, but now they have a more pure version than the than the Catholic Church. So they they just see themselves as a reformed Catholic Church. So they got the Reformation that they wanted, um, and it's basically just. I mean, in my opinion, Lutherans are just uh, homogenized Catholics, and I, I I'm I don't think that would be found offensive to most Lutherans. I mean, of course, Lutherans would say they reject the Rome the teachings of the Roman Catholic Church. They they reject the Pope, uh, but they themselves. Are, are Catholic. Now, a lay person may not know this, but if you talk to a minister, they'll tell you that. So uh, aside from that, there's, there is a lot of similarities with Martin Luther's teachings that have fed into a lot of other um, uh, Protestant churches, main, mainline churches, whatever you want to call them. Uh, just, justification, justification through grace alone, those things are things where kind of other, other theologians kind of picked up where Martin Luther left off and they've kind of continued to build on those, uh, on those. Um, and of course, uh, John Calvin and some of the other guys had their own versions of, of, of this, uh, justification theology. And, and I'm sure that they fed into it as well. But, uh, John, I would say Martin, Lu Martin Luther was probably influential way beyond Lutheranism in, in other churches. And, I don't necessarily see that as, as an all good thing because here, here you have the Catholic church. And, and as you can see, when there is a, a, a reformation of a church, you always drag, you drag some of the bad in with the good. So it's very clear to see in the, yeah, go ahead. Uh, what, what Caleb here is describing is the difference between purifying a church or separating from it. And it's always a mistake to take something that is poisonous and try to find the good in it and take it out and use that good. Uh, the, what's supposed to happen is you're supposed to wholly reject it and you're supposed to start a new work. The idea of trying to, you know, fix what's rotten, it, it never works. It never works. And there's always the term we use a lot of times is called baggage. There's a lot of baggage that mm -hmm. comes with it. There's a lot of problems. I, uh, I just had breakfast uh, this last week with a friend of mine who took over a church down in uh, Texas. And he was telling me about uh, how difficult it is. He said, Patrick, if I ever uh, take over a church again, first thing I'm going to do uh, when I'm there to candidate to see if they want to hire me, I'm going to get a show of hands, say, okay, who's who here has been here for 10 years or more? And he said, if half the hands go up, he says, I don't want anything to do with it. <laughs> he says, because they're all stuck in their ways with all their baggage, and it's going to take an act of God, you know, to be able to uh, get these folks to give up any of the garbage because they've been used to it for so long. 
And it's it's really the same way with any religion. When when it goes bad, just leave and start a work. There's nothing wrong with that. That that's totally fine. But trying to stay, I mean, trying to stay and you know fix the Catholic Church is just a mess. Well, and so yeah, and so that was his initial plan was to stay and fix it. So when he did yeah. leave, he he wasn't he he never intended to go and start from uh, with a clean slate. That was never his in the first place. Yep. Yeah. He just so wanted he, to fix those 95 problems. Right. So he, unlike many other other reformations where they really did try, like the Puritans or whatever, where they really did try to, um, you know, kind of start with a clean slate and say, what is what is true Christianity? And we're going to mm -hmm. we're going to really try to try to go back to the, you know, as, as close back to the original truth as we can. He was he's like, you know what? I'm not, you know, I'm not, I don't have a problem with most of it, but these 95 things I have a problem with. So let's, let's fix these things. And then along yeah. the way he found, you know, of course he was, he was mistreated by the church. He was upset by other things, more than 95 problems, but even among, and this is something that I, I don't know if most people realize, but if you left your church right now and you have, I mean, everybody has some problem with their church, right? I mean, you don't agree. Nobody agrees hundred percent with their church on everything. So you could say, sure. okay, I'm going to, I'm going to go start with a clean slate. You're really limited by by your perspective and your beliefs, unless you really are willing to completely lay everything down. And even so, there's still so much culture. I mean, Patrick and I have brought this up over and over again. There's, I think, probably at least nine out of ten of my Christian friends would never consider or have a, have any idea that there really is a lot of paganism that has been brought into our Christian churches now. This is this is paganism that was introduced by the Catholic church into Christianity and has never left. It's still here to this day. We're still the Protestant church, the, you know, whatever church we're all doing it. Almost everybody is still, you know, whether it's Easter, Christmas, whatever, Halloween, you name it. We have these pagan holidays and plenty of other pagan traditions that have been brought in and nobody, it never really crossed anybody's mind somewhere along the line to be like, Oh, wait a minute. Maybe, you know, maybe this, this isn't really what 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 it looked like. If you look at us as Christians now in America, we don't look that much like Jesus did. I don't just mean the way that we dress and, and talk and act, but the Christian church in America has strayed far from what the early church was. And if somebody was to go back to trying to actually live out the early church, um, I mean, my, I myself in some in some of my beliefs or whatever, I get ridiculed by people that are like, oh, you know, don't you realize that's Jewish or, you know, whatever. That's not Christian to do that. I'm like, well, Jesus did it. And they're like, oh, yeah. you know, it's kind of catching people off guard when they're like, wait. But and then oftentimes they start immediately making excuses. Well, but you realize that was before, you know, the New Testament took effect and Jesus did that. And I'm like, OK, so we need to throw the Gospels away. <laughs> and of course, we've been down this road on this podcast before. But we really we really easily just go with tradition and tradition. I mean, Jesus warns about this over and over again. He's like, you know, you forsake the commandments of God for the tra traditions of men. And so even when you have reformers that come along and say, you know, maybe you leave your church because you say, you know what, I don't like the fact that the youth have this activity that they're doing. And I think the youth should be more God-centered. You know, they should be more, it should be more Bible-based, whatever it is. Maybe you feel like that the church should be less geared around entertainment or geared around Bible study, whatever your problem with the church is. You're not going to necessarily realize plenty of other problems that your church has that you drag right into your new church and you just bring these problems right with you and you just leave behind the baggage you didn't like. Mm -hmm. So this is really what happens with much of the rest of the church is I, I really think that Martin Luther introduced a bunch of baggage into Christianity that got drug into much of the Protestant church where 
because of his humanity and the fact that he became, you know, anytime you have a church that's named after a man, I think that mm-hmm. should be a big red flag. You know, <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, let's start the Lutheran church. Martin Luther is our hero. And it's like, wait, do we, are we Christians or are we Lutherans? You know, which one yeah. is it? You know, are, yeah. are we calling Jesus or Martin Luther? We gave you three good ideas as far as churches to, you know, maybe be attracted to or avoid. And that is number one, uh, if they are in favor of Israel, that's good. Number two, uh, if they are not named after a man, that's going to be good. That's going to help you out for sure. Then what was the first one that we came up with? I can't remember. Boy, there was one more that was brought up. Yeah, well, doesn't matter. Oh, when we were t- when we were talking about, no, I don't know. I'm trying to recall really yeah. this. I know at one point we talked about oh, like, that's it. Persecution. Of- if the group that oh. you're joining has been persecuted through the centuries, that's a good safe bet. They're on the right track. Yeah, um, I mean, Jesus, pro- Jesus did promise us that blessing as Christians that we would, if you're a true Christian, you will be persecuted for His yeah. name's sake. So that is, and he says to consider that a blessing. So it is, it is a, it is a promise and a blessing. All the blessings of God we're supposed to be thankful for. So let me give you a couple of doctrinal points that uh, the Lutherans kind of stumble over here. Okay. Number one, uh, and we, we, we mentioned this, so it's, it's not a surprise that the Lutherans uh, baptism is a means by which grace is administered. It starts off when you're, young and they baptized infants and they do it by sprinkling and of course we can't find that in the bible we always see baptism by immersion uh jesus was immersed in water he was under the water he came up out of the water which means that he had to be down right next the to water. the manger right after he was born right i mean mary, mary <laughs> took him out of the manger and nope uh what's interesting is the bible actually says how old he was he was about 30 years old uh when he got baptized so you know that that's an issue. Um, he was pretty much full grown by then. Yeah, yeah. He he made up his own mind. <laughs> his, his it was his decision. Changed. Yeah. Uh, another thing is that uh, during what they call a communion, and by the way, uh, folks, do us all a favor: stop calling it communion. It is not communion. That is the Catholic sacrament. It is the Lord's Supper. That's what Jesus called it. They said, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. It was the Lord's Supper. So uh, they believe that the bread is the literal flesh uh, and body of Christ. And they believe that the uh, the wine is the literal blood of Christ. Uh, that's another uh, mess that they got from Catholicism. The Bible never talks about that or mentions that. Uh, there's one portion in the Bible, uh, in the Gospels, where Jesus is talking about, you know, eating his flesh and drinking his blood. And uh, you want to know how many people uh, didn't understand it back then? Most, because they all rejected him and walked away because they were confused and didn't understand what he was talking about. And and the Catholic Church messed that up and the Lutherans continue to do that. So there are, again, these are just things that they have kept from Catholicism. They, they took like a half step away from Catholicism and decided not to listen to the Pope. You know, and other than that, um, they, they just didn't move far enough. And they still have a good amount of mixed up theology and quite a bit of pagan practices left over from uh, the Roman Catholic Church and the state, the state run church of Rome. So the best the best way to understand the Catholic Church is go read um, a, a cat. Sorry, the best way to understand the 
Lutheran church is to go read Roman Catholic doctrine and then read mm-hmm. them the 95 thesis mm-hmm. and then and go subtract ahead and about one from the other. Subtract, yeah, subtract <laughs> the 95 from the other, but probably actually successfully, probably about 45 of the 95 actually got, got deleted. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's very, very similar. And there's, I'm sure we haven't done it a lot of justice in that. I'm sure that there's a lot of good history and there's a lot of good things that good Lutherans have done. And if we would have had a Lutheran minister on here, he probably would have been able to enlighten us on all, all kinds of that. But you don't really have to look much further when you realize uh, kind of broadly what we've explained here about about the Lutheran church is basically a homogenized Catholic, a little bit cleaned up version of the Catholic church. Yeah. And you got to remember, folks, it, you can't take an individual that did good in a religion or an individual that did bad in a religion and use that to rate or judge that religion because those things are anecdotal arguments. You can find any group of believers and you can find one that's amazing and you can always find one that's a dud that's just messed up real bad. And if we use those as arguments for or against, well, we can make any place look good or sound good or sound bad. So what we do is we go to their beliefs and we compare those beliefs to what the word of God says. That's how we fill out a report card. And we have an example of that in the book of Revelation. Jesus wrote seven letters to seven churches, and he uses the Bible as the report card. And he says, look, you're doing these things well, and you're messing up on these things. He didn't pick the person that started that church. He didn't pick, you know, the, the uh, a couple folks in the church that are doing well or a couple folks in the church that are doing poorly. He picked what they believe, what they do as a whole and said it doesn't line up with scripture or it does line up with with scripture. And that is how Jesus rated a church. And that's how we're supposed to do it when we're looking for one. Yeah, I have a I have a quote here that kind of um, shows a little bit of Martin Luther's philosophy here. He said, this life there, therefore is not righteous, but growth in righteousness, not health, but healing, not being, but becoming, not rest, but exercise. We are not yet while we, what we shall be. We are growing toward it. The process is not yet finished, but it is going on. This is not the end, but it is the road. All does not yet gleam in glory, but all is being purified. And this is when I read this book on, on Martin Luther and I was, I was realizing as he rejects, as he rejects this works-based salvation, and 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 embraces grace alone through faith alone, and, and tries to push that, he then, in doing so, he ends up starting a church that really teaches the opposite of that. So it's this process by which you achieve grace through the sacraments. It's this process where you grow you grow into grace. And of course we do believe as Christians that we are sanctified, you know, over time through the, through the Holy spirit. And we become more like Christ as, as he purifies us and as he purifies his church, but we don't believe that salvation or that the means of achieving grace is a process by which that we're working on. We believe that it's a finished work of the cross that Jesus has already taken care of and done. And it's not something that you, that you're trying to become more saved through more grace as you become more like God. It has nothing to do, your salvation and, and the, the way that, that grace is applied to you has nothing to do with you. It's simply your belief in Christ and his finished work. 
And that's a very important, a very important part of what Martin Luther's philosophy early on really was here. And yet it gets muddied up by the church. And if you were to go talk to most Lutherans, I don't think that they really truly believe in salvation through Christ alone. It's, it's through Christ plus, you know, the church, maybe not works, but really, when you think about it, it really is the, the achievements or the works of, of maybe others into you or through, through the church into you. So again, like the apostle Paul says, let's follow Christ. Don't follow Paul. Don't follow Apollos. Don't follow Martin Luther. Don't follow me or Patrick or anybody else, but follow Christ alone. And so if being a Lutheran makes you a follower of Martin Luther, then maybe you should consider being a Christian and following Jesus, even if that disagrees with, with Martin Luther. I'm not saying that there's not saved Lutherans and that there's not plenty of Lutherans that will be in heaven. I'm not saying you can't be a Christian as a Lutheran, but the, the, the Lutheran theology and the teaching of the Lutheran church has strayed away from, uh, from the gospel and it's muddied it up with church tradition. And I think Jesus warns us very clearly, you know, don't, don't go that route. Don't forsake the word of God for the traditions of man. Don't, don't go there. So that's, that would be my word of warning against somebody that is considering becoming a Lutheran or that is a Lutheran uh, would just be to say, let's let's all of us, no matter which denomination we are, no matter where we're at, let's focus on Christ alone and realize that our salvation comes through him. And your, your pastor, whether he's a Lutheran or a Methodist or whatever he is, isn't going to isn't going to somehow hold the, the keys to heaven for you. It's Jesus. I don't really have more. We're past an hour on this. Uh, I think that was well put, Caleb. I'm, I'm good to call it a night. I think we could have done a worse job explaining the history of Luther and Lutheranism. We don't have a topic for next week's podcast. We're going to mm -hmm. be discussing some other uh, Christian denominations. So if you are a denominational Christian of some sort, we promise to be respectful as we as much as we can. If you want to join us next week, you can uh, join us on here, and we will. I'm not going to promise that. At least wait to tear apart your your denomination until after you get off the air. Yeah, Caleb promised that we'd be as respectful as possible. I want to make sure that uh, he shouldn't have said we. I in no way promise that. Anyway, thank you all. Have a good night. Thanks, Patrick. Talk to you next week. Bye bye.